It's a good day to be alive, good day to remember the God who was and is and ever will be. If you'll stand with me this morning as we read the word of the Lord to us, we're going to take a, a, a week off from spiritual gifts and um, look in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, 22 through 26. And the word of the Lord this morning says, Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the sons of Micah, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you will carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Lord, I come to you seeking above all things, Lord, to live a life that is faithful, desiring to see your church faithful to the truth to the end, Lord, that we, like Joseph, would end our days magnifying your name in our words, in our actions. Lord, I pray that we would not live a life that is vain and empty, but a life that would magnify and glorify you. I pray your word would open our eyes and encourage us this morning to keep going, to keep fighting, and to never give up. Just pray, Lord, you would give me clarity and wisdom, cause our ears to hear your word, and to apply it in our daily lives. We just pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of today's message is The Will of a Dying Man. The Will of a Dying Man. I'm sure you probably are not surprised at this message because we've seen the death of a dear friend and um, mother with Annie and her funeral was yesterday. And I didn't feel like it was right to keep on preaching on spiritual gifts, not that they're bad, but I, I sense the Lord was directing me to preach a different message this morning. And I thought about this story, the story of Joseph. Now Joseph, he lived a long time, right? 110 years is a good, good long life. And he was faithful to the end. But no matter how long we live, will we be faithful to the end? I heard the story of how Annie died and it gives you encouragement that she was saying the name of Jesus as she passed into eternity. You know, I can't imagine what Sherman and their kids are going through right now. 
but I can imagine the hope and peace they still have in light of the fact that their mother finished faithfully. That there's no doubt in Sherman's mind that she made it. And I can't think of a better way to go. I was talking to Mr. Abild yesterday and you know, he said, that's what matters. Yeah, it's not easy. Miss Abild said it was one of the hardest days of her life. And I can't imagine. It's not supposed to be that way, right? Parents burying their children. But it's the result of what sin has caused in this world. Cancer is a result of sin in, in the entirety. Death itself was the result of men choosing something more than God. So I was thinking about this story and just how Joseph ends. And he gets to see three generations of one son and his, great grand, his grandchildren on the other side. But what is it that Joseph goes down in history as? We know his life, right? He was the favorite of his father. Why? Because his mother was Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. So Joseph was his favorite son. He wasn't his firstborn, but his most loved son. That he gave him the coat of many colors that... I mean, every child knows that story. Joseph had dreams and was impulsive in sharing with his family, and they mocked him and even caused his brothers to hate him so much so that when Isaac sent Joseph to check up on them, to give them provisions while herding sheep, they decided that they were going to kill him. But thankfully, one of his brothers convinced them to put him in a pit and they would come back later. He was going to save them, but unfortunately, the other brothers got a new plan. Oh, what better? Let's not have his, his blood on our hands, so we'll send him as a slave into Egypt. So Joseph has this dream that's been given to him, that he's going to rule his family at a young age, and yet he endures slavery in Egypt. He's the servant to one of the most powerful men in Egypt, and that man's wife tries to force him to sleep with her. And what does he do? He flees, and he has accused an innocent man who refused to do it. He's accused of being the one that tried to do that to her. His reputation ruined. And he's thrown into prison. And in prison, his faithfulness to God is proved in his actions, and he is actually raised to a position of authority in prison. And one day, the chief baker and cupbearer for Pharaoh himself were in jail because Pharaoh was prone to anger. <laughs> like most kings of this earth. And so he had thrown them in jail and they both have a dream. And he tells both of them, 
by the power of God, the interpretation of those dreams. And I'm sure Joseph thought, oh yeah, as soon as, remember he, he told the, the uh, cupbearer, when you get back up there, just let him know about me. I'm innocent. I'm sure Joseph was thinking in those moments, oh yeah, finally, I'm going to get out of this, this, this prison and I'm going to be free. But it was even longer. Years went by. And then one day, the moment God had appointed, Pharaoh had a dream and no one could interpret. And that cupbearer remembered Joseph and he told Pharaoh. And Joseph came and gave him not only an interpretation, but what to do. God had given Joseph wisdom. And Joseph was appointed the second most powerful man in Egypt. Could pretty much do anything he wanted. And because of Joseph's wisdom that was given by God, the people of Egypt were spared and nations from around that area who were dealing with the same famine came, even his own brothers, who Joseph forgave. They were so afraid, even in the life of their father, that when Jacob was dying, they went to Jacob and said, can you make sure that Joseph isn't going to change the way he's treating us when you die? Joseph's like, I, I, I had no desire to do that. I, I, I know this was God's will. Yes, you hated me, but God calls it for our good. So then we get to the end of Joseph's life. And what is it that he wants them to take care of? What is it that he says as he is passing away? So he said to his brothers in verse 24, I am about to die. He knows that his time is near. But God... See, death only has a sting when you do not have God. It's a big... But right here, this is a huge thing we're talking about. This is a transformational word. Because when we hear that, we're seeing something that gives Joseph hope in spite of the fact that he is dying. He knows he is dying. But God will surely take care of you. What? Confused, Joseph, how does this give you hope? What about you, Joseph? Well, he says, And bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham. What oath? Well, let's, let's read each one as they're made to the fathers of the people of Israel. So look with me at Genesis chapter 13. I hope you brought your Bible because you're going to need to be flipping through the pages or looking on your devices. In Genesis chapter 13, we see this promise to Abraham in verses 14 through 17. God has sent 
has called, there's a, been a division between Abraham and Lot. And now Lot has been separated from him. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see will be given, will, I will give to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Wow, that is a large number. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. That's his promise. But that's not the end. In chapter 15, verse 13, and then later in 18, he says in verse 13, And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And on that day, God the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Joseph knew this promise specifically. That's what he's referring to. The promise that they would go into a strange land and be foreigners and strangers and would be enslaved and oppressed. Joseph heard this. You know why? Because the people of Israel were constantly telling one another, orally telling the stories of their fathers. And God didn't stop with Abraham. Why? Because what, what does Joseph say in his statement? He says, oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God didn't just make the promise to Abraham. He made it individually to each of Abraham's descendants until Joseph. So, what does he say to Isaac? Now look at verse chapter 26 and verse 2. So Genesis 26 and 2. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. 
So it says that Isaac didn't leave. Isaac stayed despite the famine that was going on. This wasn't uncommon in that time. Famines were a common issue. And yet Isaac stayed because God told him to, and he promised him and confirmed the promise that he told Abraham. But God isn't finished because each generation receives a promise from God. I think this is something that foretells the fact that each generation of believers must experience that transformative power of God's presence in their lives. I don't think each generation lives on the previous generation's walk with God. We each walk with God in the promises that God has revealed to us individually. So what does he say to Jacob? Oh, look with me at chapter 28 and verse 13. So Jacob's dream, I don't know if you remember, he's on his way to his uncle's Laban's house because he's running from Esau who's wanting to kill him. And he gets a rock and he lays down and he has a dream. Must have been a pretty comfortable rock. He was out, he was out cold. <laughs> but he had a dream and behold a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and behold the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Before we go ahead, see where he says, I am the Lord, the God of your father? God was not just the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is Continuing, right? What, is, what are we seeing here? We're seeing God saying, Abraham wasn't, he is still. Like, Abraham died, but he went into eternity. And Je- Isaac, yes, he's gone on. Well, Isaac was still alive at that time, but I am the same with Abraham, Isaac, and with you, Jacob. God was making sure that Jacob understood that the relationship that God had with his grandfather and with his father was then one that he could have with his life. He says, The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. These are the stories. These promises are the stories that Joseph Grew up teething. No, he sat in his mother's lap and he 
heard these stories, or maybe in Jacob's lap, and he heard the stories of God's promises to to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knew this truth through and through. And in God's promises, Joseph could say, God will surely take care of you. This word, take care, is better translated, visit you. God will surely visit you. God Himself will come and visit you and bring you up from this land to the land which He promised by oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What do we see here? We see a man of faith. He is dying. He he doesn't have a written will. He doesn't have a lawyer over there writing out his will. His will is being spoken orally to his brothers. And his will demonstrates something about him. And it made me think, if I had, I don't have a will, maybe I should. Not that I plan to die soon, but what does my will say about my faith? Because Joseph's will doesn't stop with God will surely take care of you. But he says in verse 25, he says, Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swearing, say, he repeats it, God will surely visit you or take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. What? Joseph has faith in God such that it's going to transform the lives of his descendants and the descendants of his brothers. But he is telling them, I want you to take my bones back when God keeps his promise. Now that is faith. Because Joseph knew that God had told Abraham it would be 400 years, four generations. I'm sure the people of Israel, by the fourth generation, had forgotten the promise that God would bring them back. They had to be reminded. I mean, it's easy for us to forget in this world that we live in. We're sojourners, strangers. This, I, I hope this is not your home. I hope this is not where you feel like you belong. Not the church, but generally speaking, this world. I hope you're looking for another place because this world is not my home. I'm looking to a better place because I know that God is promised and He will deliver on what He said. Joseph had not only stories of God's promises, but Joseph had stories of God's faithfulness in his own life as well. It it wasn't like he just heard the stories of God's faithfulness to Abraham or to Isaac, but Joseph experienced God's faithfulness to him and his brothers 
and his father even through him. God was with Joseph because Joseph refused to live in sin. Just think about the enticement of this woman, Potiphar's wife. He could have done what she said and it would have been no problem. But he would have lost his relationship with God. And that's not something he was willing to forfeit. It seemed to, up to that point, be that Joseph was only suffering for obeying God. Right? He's only going through trial after trial after trial. And that only leads him to more trial. I mean, many of us, if we were faced with prison or doing that, what that lady wanted, we would... In sin, say, oh, I don't want to go to prison. The end justifies the means. We all know how people use that. You know, as long as it brings about good, then it's okay to do. But Joseph was a man of God. He did not allow his self to rule. And he believed with surety that God would do what he said. And this is seen not only here, but Joseph's faith is actually recorded in Hebrews. Turn with me to Hebrews Chapter 11. Verse 22. says, By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. If you could have given a title to Joseph's will, it would have been faith. He had One important thing. He didn't care about his earthly possessions. He didn't care about anything else. He cared about being a man of faith. And so he gave orders concerning his bones. And it made me question... Does, is my life lived in such a way that I am leaving not a legacy of me, but of Christ? That my life demonstrates my faith in God. Because for Joseph, he believed, I mean, what if he had just said verse 24? 
right? I know that God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to which He promised to, by oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, such a good word, Joseph. You can die now. But Joseph knew that action was required. So Joseph, in verse 25, he says, Joseph made the sons of Israel swear. And he repeated himself, God will surely take care of you. God will surely visit you. And you shall carry my bones up from here. Why? Joseph believed. Why didn't, I don't know if you've ever thought this question, why didn't Joseph just tell his brothers to take his bones to Canaan and bury him? I mean, that's what Jacob did, right? All the sons took Jacob's body up and buried him in some land that Jacob had in in Canaan. No, Joseph had faith that God would restore and keep his promise to his people. And so he wanted his bones to be buried when that truth happened. And guess what? The book that describes God's victory over the enemies of Israel in the land of Canaan ends like this. Turn with me to Joshua. You don't hear about Joseph's bones for a long time, right? 400 years plus 40 years of traveling through the desert. Do you think the Israelites were like, why in the world are we carrying a coffin around in this heat? Like, this is ridiculous. Let's just toss these bones out. Joseph's been gone forever. I mean, we don't even know who he is, really. We just heard stories about him. But you wouldn't know until you get to the end of Joshua, chapter 24. And we see this. We've just just been told about the burial of Joshua. This man who saw God's faithfulness completed in the days of his life. He had committed to serve the Lord with him and his house. And we get to this moment in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 32. I mean, this, this moment is really surreal because it's like out of nowhere, now they buried the bones of Joseph. Huh? What bones? The bones... which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem, and the piece of ground which Jacob had brought, bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of money, and they became the inheritance of Joseph's sons. Joseph wanted to be buried in the land that was given to him and his children. He believed God's promise so much so that he made his brothers swear that they 
Were they the ones that entered into the promised land? No, it was four generations. So those fathers transmitted that promise for 400 years. When y'all go, when God comes back, or when God sends someone to save us, you have got to take Joseph's bones with you. We made a promise. I'm sure about year 300, they're thinking, God's never going to give us freedom. Let's just stop telling this story. There could have been a lot of reasons, but we see here the completion. I feel like this is such a beautiful ending to this story of God's promise. Here was a man that died before they were put into slavery who saw in his bones the fulfillment of all of God's good promises. And his children got to see, well, great-great-great-great-grandchildren got to see a visual picture of a man of faith. Can you imagine being at that burial ceremony? Here's the bones, the coffin of your, you know, I don't know how many great, how many generations there were from um, Joseph to the ones who entered the land. But can you imagine being there and seeing these bones being buried in the ground and thinking, wow, Joseph, what faith you had that you told your brothers to make sure that your bones got moved when you came out of Egypt. Why? Because his land was not in Egypt. His land was in Canaan. And his hope was in God. And if you don't believe that, well, let's turn back to Hebrews 11. I probably should have told you to keep your finger there. If you have a tablet, it's probably already saved in your history, so no big deal. But listen to the description of these men as a general rule. This is a description of each of these All these died in faith, without having received the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. Is that what Joseph has done? He's welcoming the promise of God from afar. And Kevin confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Joseph is such a good picture of us. He may die in Egypt, but his bones are not staying in Egypt. He's going to the promised land. 
He's going where God has promised. And you and I have that promise today in our lives. You may die on this earth, but you're going to heaven if you're in Christ. Joseph believed, and he was not staying in Egypt. Yeah, he was long gone. His soul was gone. You know, but his bones were going to heaven. Guess what? Your bones are too. You know what? Because God promised a bodily resurrection, not a just a soul resurrection. They welcome from a distance and confess that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They made it clear that they were seeking a country of their own. And indeed, verse 15, if they had been thinking of the country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. An eternal country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For He has prepared a city for them. Has He prepared a city for you? Are you looking like Annie to that heavenly home? Are you looking like Joseph to the promise of God and saying, When this time ends, when these 400 years are over, I want you to take my bones to Canaan, to the land of promise, because I have believed God and His Word. Can you imagine the stories that were passed down to Joseph's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren until that day came when they buried those bones? Can you imagine the faith that must have been transferred? I pray we leave a legacy of faith. That when we go on, people say that man or woman loved God with all their heart. And they believed that one day they would stand before His throne and He would say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, we have a promise. You know that? Did you know we have a promise that God has revealed to us? Well, look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Is he talking about people that are sleeping in their beds during church service? No, he's talking about people who have gone on to be with the Lord, who have died. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Paul is encouraging the church at Thessalonica to have hope. 
Why? Because there's something different about us. There's something we need to hold on to. What is that? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. This is the promise. You need hope today? This is hope everlasting. It will not end. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. That means that those that have passed on will meet the Lord first. Right? That's what he says here. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Are there bones staying here on earth? In the strange land? In Egypt? Right? Egypt has always been a picture of the world in the Old Testament. And here we're seeing that. They will rise first. The bodily resurrection of those in Christ. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Should these not comfort us? This promise that if we die in this life, there's some of us here that may not make it to the the time of Christ coming back. I don't know who will, and I don't know who will not. But like Joseph, you know, they saw a good friend. His friend passed away at a very young age. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what we may have. We may live to be 110. We may live for another day. But if our hope is not in Christ, all that we have gained, all that we have accomplished, all that we have esteemed of worth on this earth will be worthless to us. We can't take with us those things of this earth. Now as to the times, chapter 5, Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Death is the same way. Yeah, he, he's talking here about that day when Christ returns, but we don't know the day that we will die. I mean, we all have heard of People being told, you've got a week to live. You've got two weeks to live. You've got a month. What you know? But doctors don't know exactly how long we have to live. Even they can be close. How many people die like Nixon's friend of a heart attack at a young age? It's like, how did that happen? I mean, that person was a CrossFit athlete. I mean, they were ripped and shredded and so fit. I mean, maybe you don't know what CrossFit is, but, I mean, those guys, shoo. 
I mean, they're, they're the picture of a warrior, you know? But no matter what we do on this earth to try to lengthen our lives, we don't have control. God has numbered our days. And if we're not ready to meet Him, we need to cry out for mercy. Maybe today God is calling you in that same way. Verse 3, while they were saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Megan has always gone over with our children by the standard time, almost 10 months with one. And when those times come, it doesn't stop until the baby comes out. Until that's in. But you, he's, he's writing to, to Christians, right? And so this should encourage us. He says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, in light of this, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Let us be looking for the day, living every day with purpose and desiring to leave a legacy of faith. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day... Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. How does he end this? He says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. God has not destined us for wrath. He hasn't destined us for wrath. He has obtained salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord for us. We don't have to live in fear of tomorrow. We can live in hope and live in peace because Jesus is Lord of our lives. If He's Lord of our lives. If we have repented of our sins and turned to Jesus as our Savior. Will your legacy be like that of Joseph's bones being buried nearly 500 years after his death? Because he did not belong in Egypt. He belonged in the promised land. Will you, if you die in this earth, be brought up to meet Christ in heaven? Will your bones stay in the ground here or will they be raised up with him? 
I hope so. That's my prayer. That's why I'm preaching this message today because you can't go to a funeral and not think about your own life. You can't not think about the effect that sin has had on this world and how much we need Jesus to save us. I want a legacy like Joseph. I would love for my kids to look back and people who knew me to look back and say, my dad lived, me, lived for Christ. And when he died, he, li- lived in, he died in faith. I want to read a few es- um, quotes from a book. It's a really good book. It's really long. <laughs> it took me a while to read it because it's about 400, uh, maybe even 500. Yeah, it's almost 500 pages. But it's the story of John Patton. There's actually some back there. You could just read the first chapter and it would just, you probably would break down in tears. I did, so. Um, and just ask Megan, I don't cry a lot. But if I start crying while reading this, you'll know why. But this is the legacy that John Patton's father left with his children. So this first quote, he's describing the place where his father prayed. He says, The closet was a very small apartment betwixt the other two, having room only for a bed, a little table, and a chair, with a diminutive window shedding diminutive light on the scene. This was the sanctuary of that cottage home. Thither daily and oftentimes a day, Generally, after each meal, we saw our father retire and shut the door. And we children got to understand by a sort of spiritual instinct, for the thing was too sacred to be talked about, that prayers were being poured out there for us, as of old by the holy priest within the veil in the most holy place. We occasionally heard the pathetic echoes of a trembling voice pleading as if for life, And we learned to slip out and in past that door on tiptoe, not to disturb the holy colloquy. The outside world might not know, but as we knew, whence came that happy light as of a newborn smile that always was dawning on my father's face. It was a reflection from the divine presence in the consciousness of which he lived. Never in a temple or cathedral or mountain, on mountain or in glen, can I hope to feel that the Lord God is more near, more visibly walking and talking with me than under that humble cottage roof of thatch and oaken wattles. Though everything else in religion were some unthinkable catastrophe to be swept out of memory or blotted from my understanding, my soul would wander back to those early scenes and shut itself up once again in that sanctuary closet. And hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl me back, all, would hurl back all doubt with a victorious appeal. He walked with God. Why may not I? I mean, that's what I want my kids to say. I want my kids to say, he walked with God, why may not I? 
Why couldn't I walk with God? My dad did. He could do it. Or another, right after John Patton committed his life to doing missions on a cannibal island, his parents replied to him saying, Heretofore we feared to bias you, but now we must tell you why we praise God for the decision to which you have been led. Your father's heart was set upon being a minister, but other claims force him to give it up. When you were given to them, your father and mother laid you upon the altar, their firstborn to be consecrated, if God saw fit as a missionary of the cross. It has been their constant prayer that you might be prepared, qualified, and led to this very decision. And we pray with all our heart that the Lord may accept your offering, long spare you, and give you many souls from the heathen world for your hire. What a witness. There's more. There's one more. The last time that John Patton saw his parents, he says this, My last scene in Scotland was kneeling at the family altar in the old sanctuary cottage at Torthwald. While my venerable father, with his high priestly locks of snow-white hair streaming over his shoulders, commended us once again to the care and keeping of the Lord God of the families of Israel. It was the last time that I ever on this earth, that I ever... The ever on this earth, those accents of intercession, loaded with a pathos of deathless love, would fall upon my ears. I knew to a certainty that when we rose from our knees and said farewell, our eyes would never meet again till they were flooded with the lights of the resurrection day. But he and my darling mother gave us away once again with a free heart, not unpierced with the sword of human anguish, to the service of our common Lord, and to the salvation of the heathen. And we went forth praying that a double portion of their spirit, along with their precious blessing, might rest upon us all the way that we had to go. He says this, Our beloved mother, always more self-restrained and less demonstrative in the presence of others, held back her heart till we were fairly gone from the door. And then as my dear brother afterwards informed me, she fell back into his arms with a great cry as if all the heartstrings had broken and lay for a long in a death-like swoon. Oh, all that ye read this page, think more tenderly of the cries of nature, even where grace and faith are in perfect triumph. Read through these scenes like these, a fuller meaning in the words addressed to that blessed mother whose son was given for us all, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Here, in passing, I may mention that my mother, ever beloved, fell on sleep after a short agony of affliction in 1865, and my priest-like father passed peacefully and joyfully into the presence of his Lord in 1868. Both cradled and cherished to the last in the arms of their own affectionate children, and both in the assured hope 
of a blessed immortality where all their sons and daughters firmly expect to meet them again in the home prepared by their blessed Savior. I hope that my children could write a book like that one day. I don't know about you. And I believe that Annie's kids will be able to do that. She, she went out fighting. She didn't give up. She kept the course. And uh, I just pray if God has not touched your heart in this way, and if you have been touched but you are being encouraged to live for Christ, to don't let the world take what God has given God has given so much, and He is desiring that we would follow Him with all our hearts. Don't leave a, leave a legacy of some business or some land that you had or some whatever. Leave a legacy of faith in Christ and that home in heaven. Because that's where true treasure will be found. It's not going to be found on this earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a promise, that you have not destined us to wrath, but you have obtained salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, if there's anyone here or hearing this message this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would open their ears, that they would understand the truth of your word, and that they would repent of their sins and come running after you. Lord, as Believers are here. I pray, Lord, that we would constantly hope in Christ. We would be encouraged to live lives that leave a legacy of faith, that we would preach the gospel to our children, that we would live it throughout our lives, so that when we die, they would magnify you. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We trust that you will be with us this day and every day from here forward. Help us to live for you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.